Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast and happy 4th of July. Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, Independence. Join us in Psalm 62. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. I feel like I'm talking like my dad today. Because yesterday, I got out a chainsaw. All right, because we, we have a, a little piece of property we're building a house on, and they're like plowing it up and everything in the vegetation. And so I was taking advantage of maybe cutting down a few things and throwing it on the pile because they're going to haul it away, right? And there's a couple of saguaros that are all being choked by some vegetation. So I got out my chainsaw. Now, all of our stuff is in storage. So for some reason... The chainsaw that I inherited from my dad was the last thing to put in the container. So it's the first thing you see when you open the container. So I was really excited about that. But it was my dad's chainsaw. All right. So it's old and heavy. And um, so I, I just, it's, it probably shouldn't run. So I decided that. Well, if it runs, great. I'll go back another time. So I put it, it's in a box thing, you know, like only my dad would have a box to carry your chainsaw in with all the junk, you know, and you open it up, and you're like, whew, smells like it's going to blow up. And uh, <laughs> so I, I was looking at it going, man, well, I hope this works. And I got out there, and I was all ready, and I was pretty excited. And I turned it on, and boing, no, 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 first try, first try, it started up. I mean, I, I was screaming, and Linda was over doing something. She's like, what, did you cut your foot off or what? You know, and, oh, man, I was so excited. And I was excited. I was thinking because my dad had, you know, he spent some time teaching me how to utilize a chainsaw. I know how to use one really well, Right? And, um, and it started up because <laughs> he took care of it pretty good. And I remembered that uh, when I got it, I took it down to the place and had it tuned up and just never used it, right? So it's been sitting around for five years and who knows, I, you know, what would happen. It, I was just lucky it started up. And it was great. I cut up all kinds of stuff. I cut up more things than I should because I was just enjoying using it. I was cutting everything down. It was awesome. <laughs> oh, man, that was great. But here's the thing, you know, I, I, uh, I was thinking about, you know, my dad instilled some really great things in me. And uh, you know, I was thinking about my son, actually. So I had been talking to my kid, uh, Mitchell. He's in the Navy. He's, he's uh, overseas right now. He's deployed and he is in Fuji, and I think he's sleeping in somewhere he's, that's not that great. And so we were talking about some things. We were kind of walking through the scriptures uh, with some stuff, and, and it, it was just a sweet conversation. We get to do that quite a bit. I do that with my daughter, too. Um, it's, it's, it's really fun to journey through the scriptures with your kids, and they're full-blown adults. And... Um, so this is why I was thinking, though. I was thinking, my son Mitchell, I am very confident, like 98% sure, he's never used a chainsaw, right? He never has. And I don't think he knows how to. I mean, now it's, you know, 
they come with directions now, but um, he's, he's never used a chainsaw, and I've never taught him how to use one, but he knows how to search the scriptures and utilize the scriptures and study the scriptures and apply the scriptures. So I was thinking back through my childhood with my dad. He taught me a lot of great things. He taught me a lot of good stuff, but that's not one of them, right? I, I love my dad. He would be very, very much considered a man's man, um, enjoyed, you know, my dad had a collection of tractors, um, animals, horses, bird dogs for everybody, and all kinds of stuff. He drove a truck. No, he drove a pickup. I drive a truck. You know, that kind of stuff. But we didn't, like, spend a lot of time in God's Word together, if any. But my kid and I have. And that's where I want to go as we kind of end up this little series in Family Summer Nights. I want you to turn to Psalm 62. Because I think all the things are there that you should instill into your family and you should discuss with your family and you should do your best to help your family utilize this psalm. There's so many great principles in this psalm for your family. And uh, I think you should spend some time together because life is hard, especially if you give way to the temptations in life. And the temptation to interpret reality on the basis of your circumstances alone. And I find over and over again, what are people suffering from the most? Interpreting um, reality on the basis of their circumstances. Reacting and not responding. Now, I'm guilty of uh, plenty of reacting, that's for sure. But this morning, I want to share with you a psalm that, that will help you evaluate the past Cope with the present and deal with the present and prepare you for the future. And if that doesn't sound like something you should be doing with your family, you're doing it wrong, all right? Psalm 62, it's written by David during his wilderness years. It's often referred to as one of the lament psalms. The Hebrew word for lament comes from the verb to remember. And so in these psalms, King David is facing a crisis situation. We don't know exactly what it is, um, but he's got enemies. He's got some things right here. We don't know the precise historical circumstances that motivated him to write these words. But I think the song was written by design that way so that we can make our own application of them. Okay? So in these lament psalms, um, there's a bunch of them, as is the case with all the psalms. you got to remember that the one crying out to God was the king, the person who represented the righteous rule of God on earth. That's the king. That's King David. So because of our relationship with Christ Jesus, Christ followers, too, are children of God. And though his kingdom is invisible... It is very much alive. It is a spiritual kingdom manifest by the rule of God in the hearts of believers. So uh, while David's enemies, his enemies, those who rejected the rule of God on earth were flesh and blood. Our enemies are, they could be flesh and blood, but they are primarily spiritual enemies. They're evil forces that seek to hinder the rule of Jesus Christ in us in particular, I think more than anything. 
And as a result, the Psalms offer all kinds of things that we can apply to our lives. I think you should spend time in the Psalms a lot, actually. It's important to uh, remember that um, David wrote Psalm 62 while he was engaged in the heat of conflict. Have you been in any conflicts recently? So he could relate really well to the emotions we feel in the midst of our pressures. But somehow David, he, he knew a confidence. He knew a confidence and a peace like I really need. In the middle of trials, that's when I need confidence and peace. That's what you need. Confidence and peace in the midst of pressure. And he expresses that confidence in the words of Psalm 62. And you, you learn not only of that confidence, but the choices we have to make in order to experience all of that. And that's what your family needs. That's what your family needs. The Psalms divided into three paragraphs, four verses each. It's actually brilliant. First, it sets out the foundation of David's expectations. So foundation is a big deal. There's a foundation we need to understand even when utilizing a chainsaw. Honestly, there's a system involved that's really important and foundational things that are just a, kind of a big deal. But think of this when it comes to your own life and foundational things regarding your expectations and where your hope lies. And, and there's a firmness of that foundation and, and, and the futility in placing uh, trust and confidence in any other foundations other than God, right? So each paragraph teaches uh, that we've got to make a choice, that we have to make a choice. And if your family, uh, if your children are still at home, then here's your chance to give them guidance while they're trying to make choices. You know, today is, or tomorrow is Independence Day, and I often talk to parents about, you know, parents are like, oh, I don't know what, he's just kind of crazy and doing this thing, and it's pretty much called rebellion, and why do kids do that? Because they're looking, uh, they want their own identity, and so... They don't want yours. They want theirs. They want their own. So they, sometimes you're just so offended because they're rejecting the things that are important to you. <laughs> they want their own identity. Independence. Right? We love that in America. We stood up and just, you know, pledged allegiance to the flag pretty much and celebrated that, our independence, our freedom, Right? Think about the independence that we were, our, our founders were, was so important to them. Independence from England, right? That we fought for. We established this great nation with, and it seems like it's all upside down and crazy a little bit right now. Patriotism is, there's a, there's a battle, it seems like, over the flag of all things and other stuff, right? It's upheaval in our country over this kind of stuff. Oh, my goodness. Well, what I want to do here is um, I want to read through the psalm, and then I want to draw the truth out of the text and look at these choices that we have, right? Psalm 62 says, for God alone, you could say only there, 
For God alone I patiently wait. He's the one who delivers me. He alone or only is my protector and deliverer. He's my refuge. I will not be upended. How long will you threaten a man like me? All of you are murderers as dangerous as a leaning wall or an unstable fence. They spend all their time planning how to bring their victim down. They love to use deceit. They pronounce blessing with their mouths and inwardly they utter curses. Patiently wait for God alone or only my soul. For he's the one who gives me hope. He alone is my protector and deliverer. He's my refuge. I will not be shaken. God delivers me and exalts me. God is my strong protector and my shelter. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our shelter. Men are nothing but mere breath. Human beings are unreliable. When they are weighed in the scales, all of them together are lighter than air. Do not trust in what you can gain by oppression. Don't put false confidence in what you can gain by robbery. If wealth increases, do not become attached to it. God has declared one principle, two principles I've heard. God is strong and you, O Lord, demonstrate loyal love for you repay men for what they do. So, wow, there's so many things in here and I want to just take a few minutes. The first choice is revealed in the opening four verses. We must recognize that only God is sufficient to meet our needs. Him alone, right? That's the first four verses. He begins with that poignant summary statement in which he declares the central truth of the psalm. It's one of the most significant principles that you can know. Contentment, confidence, security, and life is found alone in God. Only in God. There it is. That's the red dot in the middle of the target right there. Teach that to your family. The, sig the, the significant word alone, it, it occurs six times, or you could say only, verse one, two, four, five, six, and nine. In fact, it means kind of silence. You know, when you're alone, it's kind of silent. It's not referring to the absence of speech his thinking isn't but rather the absence of turmoil and anger and frustration so david knew that god was his only source of salvation him alone right that word alone or only has been ringing in my ears for quite a while now more often than not it is restlessness not rest that characterizes my soul does it do that? Is that the way your soul is? You know what I'm talking about, don't you, right? I'm referring to that vague sense of discontent, of wanting something you can't quite articulate. It's that wanting that keeps us on the move, actually. Promising that satisfaction and happiness are just ahead. It fills us with restlessness that nothing like money, sex, marriage, friends, jobs, children, even retirement doesn't seem to satisfy it. These things, of course, can't fulfill us. They never were meant to do it. Our futile search for satisfaction simply reveals our need for God. 
So the dark valleys of our existence make God more real to us. I don't like the valley any more than you do. I know from my own experience and from the experiences of many who have shared their suffering with me, that oftentimes it is pain that weans us from our idolatries. Idolatries that are robbing us of satisfaction and joy. Pain is God's way of prying our fingers loose from the things that are futile and not fulfilling, actually. God utilizes pain. He lets it happen on purpose. Brings us to our knees. Man, do we not like it, right? That's why Walgreens exists. (laughs) Have you been to the aisles of Walgreens and how many pain relievers are there? I mean, the industry is unbelievable. Alleviating pain is what we want. So David experienced pain in the wilderness. He learned to trust God. Through rejection of his own father, he discovered the love of his heavenly father. His family would have ruined him if he hadn't uh, fled to God for shelter or refuge. David was hammered and hurt throughout his entire life. But through the darkness and the suffering and the pain, he gave, a, he, he gave voice to all of his passions in this one phrase. Verse 1, for God alone, I patiently wait. He's the one who delivers me. <laughs> David describes himself as a leaning wall, an unstable fence. You ever feel like that? It's a word picture here. Something about a leaning wall that makes people want to tip it over. I don't know, that, that leaning tower of Pisa thing, right? Don't you just want to go up to it and go, ah, just to go see it go. I mean, I do. I think they've jacked it back up or something now, but don't you love it on Instagram and other places, YouTube? Watching things go. (laughs) Yeah. Satisfying, right? So it's through this kind of adversity that David came to know God. That's what he cries out, right? My protector, my deliverer. He's my refuge. He repeats himself again in verse 7, right? He calls God strong protector and his shelter. And the word refuge and shelter comes from the word, the, the, the verb to be lifted up or made safe or secure. Actually, in, in, ancient, in the ancient Near East uh, culture, safety was synonymous with reaching and remaining upon a fortified height, which was inaccessible to, you know, getting way up above and having the high ground kind of thing. So... Um, and he, and he says, I, I'm not going to be upended. He doesn't, he doesn't mean that he's going to never face difficult circumstances. Obviously, he knew this is not true. But he also knew he would never be upended to the point of being uprooted. Are there circumstances that make you vulnerable, that make you feel weak or discouraged or frightened? For some of you, it's in your marriage actually today. Lots of marriages among us are barely surviving. I talk to people all the time. For others, it's a terminal illness, or maybe you're facing an uncertain future. Others of you feel grieved this morning. Is there an 
inexplicable ache in your heart, then go to him who made your heart. Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. You know, like you're walking around with a backpack full of rocks in it. Go to the one who made your heart. He says, I'm gentle, I'm humble. And you'll find rest for your soul in me. My yoke is easy, my burden's light. You know, you've heard those things, right? Knowing this is what God is like. And knowing him is true rest. There's no more profound lesson to be learned in life. So you can teach your child how to use a chainsaw, amen. Or you can teach him this. Which one do you think is going to be more valuable? I think it's this. I think it's this. So here's the second choice we got to make. It's found in verses five through eight. We must continually choose to allow God to meet our needs in his time, not our time. Mm. Man, these verses, they're almost identical to verses one and two, but I want you to notice a change here in verse uh, one. David simply states a fact, right? I'm waiting um, patiently on you alone, God, because it's about you, right? In verse 5, it becomes an exhortation. What does verse 5 say? Patiently wait for God alone, my soul, for he is the one who gives me hope, right? So it's different. David knew that it takes more than simply recognizing that God could meet his needs. He knew he had to make a choice to look to God to do so. So David exhorts himself to wait on God. And the lesson's clear. Our expectations and our hopes have to be placed in God and in him alone. But waiting is hard, isn't it? You know, you already know I don't like Costco because it's actually all about waiting at Costco. That's all you do is wait there. Get your stuff and then wait to pay for it. Go to Disneyland. It's just waiting. You know that you can get the best corn dog on the planet at Disneyland? It's a little red truck that drives around. And it parks in different locations. And you never know where it is. You have to search for it. I just like that part. (laughs) But when you find it, you got to wait in line for a corn dog. That will change your life. But you have to wait for it. It's an awesome corn dog. Believe me, it's one of the only things that gives me pleasure if I have to go to Disneyland. <laughs> At least I'm waiting for the world's greatest corn dog. I don't like to wait, and I don't care who it is. Nobody likes to do that. Nobody wants to wait. Well, what does it mean to wait on God? <clears throat> See, the lessons are clear. Our expectations and our hopes got to be placed in God and Him alone. But we want things right now. It's difficult to preach patience, especially for me, to a culture that retrieves information from its phone in seconds and meals from Uber Eats in minutes. That's hard. Two crucial elements of waiting on God. One, confidence and trust. So David says, trust in him alone, you know, at all times. People, listen, you got to trust in him. All of life is consummated in loving and trusting God. This is what we're made for. That is where ultimate satisfaction lies. Patiently wait for God alone. He alone's your protector. 
Trust in him at all times. People, pray your heart before him. God is our shelter, right? All this kind of stuff. Certainly, we're supposed to plan, prepare, but we've got to trust. Uh, we must hold our schemes and our dreams loosely, our, our, our plans loosely. Trusting in him leads us, uh, to lead us means that we're going to often be in over our head or things are going to seem out of control. Do you like feeling like you're in over your head? Do you even acknowledge it when you're over your head? Or when things are out of control? I'm going to say no. I am never wanting to say, and it's, I don't know if I even never said it. Oh, I'm in over my head here. You guys? No. That would be like saying, oh, we're lost. I don't know where we are. Are you kidding? <laughs> right? You got to give up security of your own plans and, law, uh, and, and live in a world where God's goodness and love are the only sure things. Henry Nouwen, oh, this guy, he's brilliant. He's deep. He's kind of heady. But look what he says. He says, the movement from illusion, and I'm just going to explain illusion there, the illusion that we are in control, right? So the movement from illusion to dependence is hard to make us to make since it leads us from false certainties to true uncertainties from an easy support system to a risky surrender and from many safe gods to the god whose love has no limits oh man how true is that god takes a special kind of humility that admits or trusting God and having confidence in God takes a special kind of humility that admits we can't control the circumstances of our lives and that we do not have the answers to the hard questions of our existence and that we're powerless to affect any eternal results. The valleys of life are designed to lead us to these realizations, actually. If you're in the valley, good for you. I mean, honestly, the Lord's doing something. Sit up and pay attention. How about prayer, though? This is the next thing here. David says, pour out your heart before him. As God's children, we've we've got privileged access. God can be trusted and can be trusted in intimacy with him. An opportunity to receive all that he has stored up for us is access through prayer. And prayer is the, the way we really everything is accomplished. Prayers are response to the revelation of God's heart. And if you do not want to pray, or if you don't know what to pray for, then pray David's Psalms. Prayer was the essence, the center, and the genius of his life. It, it, it should be ours too. So unburden your heart like David's, David does. Prayer is the highest expression of our dependence on God. And when we pray, we ask, we, we, we can ask for anything, even the most difficult things. Anything large enough to occupy our minds is large enough to hang a prayer on. We don't need to insist. We don't need to run around floundering. Uh, you can't make deals with God or make demands of him. Remember, he wants relationship with you, and that's not what you do in a relationship, demand things from each other. But we, we must ask, and then we must wait patiently and submissively until God gives us what 
we request or something better. And David learned this. He, he writes Psalm 131. Look what he writes. He says, indeed, I am composed and quiet like a young child carried by his mother. He learned not to worry over God's delays and his mysterious ways because he knows God's ways aren't his ways and they're not our ways either. No longer restless craving is what we need. David waited for God to answer in his own time and in his own way. God's able to do far more than anything we ask or can dream up, right? He's, he, he must do it in his time and in his way though. We may ask in our time and in our way, but God answers in his. So why would you ask for him to do it in your time? And I think the third and final choice is set out in the last four verses of the psalm, verses 9 through 12. Having given us the foundation of his expectations and the firmness of that foundation, now David demonstrates the futility of all other foundations. Oh, so great. We must refuse to look for other sources of fulfillment. What are the sources of fulfillment that you look for? So he, he attacks what we often seek first and trust the most, people and money. People and money, right? The two assets we run to with our leaning fence. They make us weak and vulnerable. Or when we're weak and vulnerable first, we look to people, right? In verse 9. Men are nothing but mere breath. Human beings are unreliable. This is a poetic way of saying everybody, rich, poor, whatever. It's just, they're just a puff of wind, a vapor, lighter than breath. You know, I dug around on that word breath a little bit. It's the same word that is translated vanity in the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity. <laughs> This is easily recognized, of course, in people who do not possess wealth, fame, or authority. Anyway, the, the, the second asset that we trust in is money or material stuff, our stuff, our things, right? In fact, David notes in verse 10, we place so much stock in this kind of stuff and money that, that we'll resort to violence to get it. And I don't need to elaborate on how we pin our hopes on money, do I? We do, man. That's why we have lotteries. If you don't think people believe money will meet their needs, then observe the checkout stand where you can buy a lottery ticket. And I just want to go, oh, man, you should be spending your money on something else. You're going to die of all the things you're buying here. <laughs> money talks. But mostly it lies, right? Money deceives us into believing that good fortune is going to bring satisfaction and security and all that. But having enough never satisfies. Having more just kind of goads us and drives us, right? The writer of Ecclesiastes, his journal, maybe the wisest man ever to live, says whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. So in verses 11 and 12, David summarizes what he's learned about God through his crisis. He says God is strong, or he uses the word strength and power, right? The ability to help us no matter what our needs are, no matter what our condition 
the condition of our fences in. No matter how vulnerable we are, it belongs only to God, not people or material stuff. Human limitation is a fact of life. It doesn't take much to bring us down, does it? We've learned that pretty well over this last few years. A tiny virus can devastate us. Physically, a slight miscalculation can ruin us financially. A small miscue can undo us socially. Life can't be controlled and contained. It cannot. Just watch the Jurassic Park movies. There are just too many contingencies. We don't have what it takes to control all the contingencies. Even though I try my best, I'm pretty good, and I can keep a lot of balls in the air. One truth that God has been whispering in my ear this past few years is this. Are you ready? I have least control over the things I care about the most. I have the least control over the things I care about the most. <laughs> Howard but the third. I know. He should change his name. <laughs> Look what he says. Here we go. It's my pride that makes me think I call my own shots. That feeling is my basic dishonesty. I can't go it alone. I can't rely on myself. I am dependent on God for my very next breath. It is dishonest of me to pretend that I'm anything but a man, small, weak, limited. So living independent of God is a self-delusion. It's not just a a matter of pride being an unfortunate little trait and humility being an attractive little virtue. It's my inner psychological integrity that is at stake here, right? When I am self-dependent, I am lying to myself about who I am. I am pretending to be God and not man. My independence is the idolatrous worship of myself the national religion of hell. Kind of crazy to say that on the weekend of our independence as a nation, right? But I think our independence is really important. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be a nation. And I'm as attaching it to that. I'm talking about your life and God and personally, right? Our discomfort is God's doing. He's after us. He hems us in on purpose. He thwarts our dreams on purpose. Lots of times he foils our best made plans, right? He frustrates our hope. He waits until we know that nothing will ease our pain, that nothing but his presence will make life worth living. Then when we finally turn to him, he's there to greet us and he's been there all along. That's what he does because he wants us to depend on him. Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near. All who cry out to him, all who cry out to him sincerely. Maybe you're saying, well, why would God want me? He knows my sin. 
my wanderings, my junk, right? My long-standing habit of not yielding to him. uh, I'm not good enough. I'm not sorry enough. I'm unable not to sin, right? Now, this is wrong thinking. Stop thinking that way. Our waywardness does not have to be explained to God. He's never surprised by anything we do. He sees everything in a glance. What is, what could have been, what should have been, what would have been a part of, uh, uh, apart from our sinful choices, what, would, what could have been if, if we just would have, right? He sees into all the dark little cracks in our heart. He knows everything there is to know about us, but what he sees only draws out his love because it is in his nature to love us. That's what he wants. If you can instill that into your family, Psalms are filled with affirmations of that kind of love. God love, God kind of love. Everywhere we find phrases like, I trust in your loyal love, God. I rejoice in your love. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call on you. The Lord is good and his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he's good and his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. I mean, over and over and over. Give thanks to the Lord because he's good and his love endures. His loyal love endures forever. David's term for God's tender affection means love that flows out of deep devotion. It's translated, as far as I can tell, at least 13, 14 different ways in the Old Testament. But I think loyal love is the best translation. Look at Exodus 34, 6. Look at this. Watch this. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. David took that revelation to heart. He quoted him over and over again. Just two times you can find those exact words. Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are compassionate and merciful. You are patient and demonstrate great loyal love and faithfulness. Psalm 103.8, the Lord's compassion and, is compassionate and merciful. He's patient and demonstrates great, loyal love. Knowing that God is like this and knowing this God means he is rest. There's no more profound lesson in life than learning what David learned. No more. Psalm 62.1 sums up everything. For God alone, only I patiently wait. He's the one who delivers me. Are you doing that today? I hope you'll learn how to do that. I hope you'll practice doing it. I hope you'll spend your life like David did, learning that profound lesson. Thank you, Lord. For your loyal love, your faithful, loyal love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like to know more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.